So we're just beginning a new series here in 1 Timothy. And um, maybe a question to ask is why 1 Timothy? It's, it's a letter from a godly man to a young leader, helping him with his life and ministry. Like you can't go wrong taking in that wisdom as presented there. It gives instruction on what the church is to be about, leadership, what the message of the church is, some of the ministries what we're to be about, encouragement and guidance for life. So think about the time in our own church body. Next week we'll be installing elders. We're, we've entered in a new space. We're continuing to establish who we are and what we're about. This is the right book to be in. That God's word through His Spirit will continue to establish and, and describe who we are, who we are to be. So um, before I just open up God's word, I, I would like to just pray again and ask God to, uh, to use this time, this word. If you'll bow with me. Oh Lord, it's been a, a joy already to sing songs to your name, to see Palmer come into uh, church membership, Lord. Now as we have the opportunity to open up your word, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, you'd speak through me. I pray that your word would go out, that you would do your work in our hearts, our lives, Lord. Give us soft hearts, give us open ears, and uh, just bless this word proclaimed. Uh, to do your work, to build your kingdom, to make your name great. So I pray that you would do this. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Amen. If you want to um, stand with me, it's something we do at our church as we read God's word. And it'll just be the first two verses this morning. So 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So I've, I've labeled this, this message Entrusted. Actually, our whole time in 1 Timothy will be called Entrusted. And it's going to be a little bit different of a message. I'm going to kind of spend the first half kind of like laying down the background information of 1 Timothy. And then the second half talking about these first two verses. Because that's kind of where we're going. But what would I call 1 Timothy or even this section Entrusted? Why Entrusted? I believe you'll see how Paul, the Apostle Paul, was entrusted with the gospel. That was put into his hands. And then him, in turn, as he's entrusted with the gospel, then he entrusted Timothy with the gospel, put it in his hands. That was the mission, that was the message of the church. And then we, in turn, we take that same gospel, that gospel has been entrusted to us. So I hope you can see that with what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and more than that, in the weeks, months to come, we'll see how the church is entrusted with elders, with sound doctrine, with helping widows, with prayer and more. I would encourage you as we go through, we're going to slowly go through this letter, but in the days, weeks to come, keep reading through 1 Timothy. Like just, you know, really read the section we're going to talk about and then just read it again. Maybe every few weeks, just read 1 Timothy. Get acquainted with this letter. So first, like I said, kind of the first half, I'd like to bring the background of this, of this book. And we'll be looking at different scripture throughout. 
So first, like if you have a good study Bible, a lot of this information is just right there in the front. So we're just asking like who, where, when, what, why kind of type questions. So who, who wrote this book? Paul. <laughs> Paul, an apostle, uh, wrote this book. The apostle Paul, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Right? He was a Pharisee. He was hunting down Christians, wanted to throw them in jail. And God met him, turned his life and said, I'm going to use you to make my name known. We're going to talk more about his story uh, today and in the weeks to come. So the, the early church in the second century, they confirmed like, yes, Paul wrote 1 Timothy. There was a number of early church leaders, Ignatius, Polycarp, Clement of Rome. They're like, yes, yes, Paul wrote 1 Timothy. And the reason I bring this up, it wasn't questioned until the 19th century. So 1,800 years of church history, like, yeah, Paul wrote 1 Timothy. You get into the 19th century. And then the age of reason, the rise of enlightenment, people's ability to think. And all of a sudden, there are all these scholars who are like, I don't think Paul wrote this letter because it has different vocabulary than some of his other letters. It's a, it's a little bit ridiculous if you think my wife and I, our first year in marriage, we spent our time in South Korea. And if you had read any of our emails or, or notes from that time, we would have talked about gimbap and galbi and kimchi in the subway and, and teaching a hogwan and all this language that you would see nowhere else in the rest of our lives. And it's like, I don't think they wrote that because it's very different than the vocabulary they've used the rest of their lives. But it was a, so it's kind of a ridiculous thing to say. It's a, but Paul wrote the pastoral epistles, what we call 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. He wrote them to individuals, talking about specific situations. So of course he used different vocabulary in that time. The reason I'm just I'm, I'm laying this before you is, is many, the majority of scholars start to argue like, well, I know you didn't write it, who wrote it? I think it's a waste of time. Paul wrote it. Let's move on. I just want to put that before you. <laughs> when did Paul write it? He wrote it in between the end of his, uh, his time. He was in prison, Acts 28. He was in Rome for two years. He got released from prison, and in that time, he did ministry. And in, in that time period, that's when he wrote 1 Timothy as he was moving about. Interesting, he went to jail uh, for believing in Jesus Christ two years. He gets out. He doesn't stay silent. He just keeps going and eventually costs him his life. So Paul wrote, though, in between Acts 28 and 2 Timothy, the end of his life. Who did Paul write the letter to? Paul to Timothy I just want to give you like a background, a kind of character sketch of who is Timothy looking at Scripture. If you'll, you can turn there with me or you can keep your finger in 1 Timothy uh, to Acts. Acts 16 is the first time that we see Paul meet Timothy. Acts 16, 1-3. It says this, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Interesting, already he was well spoken of. So Timothy seemingly was already a believer. They had known about him, but it talks about the brothers. That's the believers. The believers spoke well of Timothy. In verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany, accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. They all knew his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way throughout the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, Acts 15. So Paul, he met Timothy, 
And he loved him. He loved what was spoken about him. And he just brought him into his ministry with him. A little bit more that we know about Timothy as well. In 2 Timothy, I'll just bring your attention to that. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. Paul writes this. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy had a godly lineage. He had a godly grandmother, he had a godly mother, and they passed the faith down to Timothy. It's interesting, his father is not mentioned. I don't know if his dad became a believer. It seems not, or maybe had passed by that time. Maybe they're, they're just the ones that were still living. And then 2 Timothy 3, uh, 14 to 15, talks about how that was passed down to him. For you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul's grandmother, Paul, or sorry, Timothy's grandmother, Timothy's mother, taught him the scriptures. And they told him about God. They put the fear of God in him. I just want you to just think about that. His, his mother and his grandmother are highlighted. So grandmothers, mothers out here, are you doing that in your life? Are you passing down the faith to your children, to your grandchildren? What a, what a glorious thing that is. Of course, fathers, grandfathers too, but we see here, we see uh, Lois and, and Eunice highlighted. So that happened for Timothy. You just think in, in kids' ministry, like, we're the Timothys. Among these, these little ones, I mean, we're the Esthers. Like we're raising up the next generation and mothers and grandmothers. Like what a significant aspect you can have in these young people's lives, passing on the faith. So Timothy was with Paul in his ministry. You see his name mentioned all throughout the book of Acts. Paul discipled him. He imprinted his life on him. First uh, Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. Again, just going to a number of different places. I want to show you what scripture says about him. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Right? I also read, like, be imitators of me as I follow, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, that's why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach him everywhere in the church. He says, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy. Like, Timothy, he knows. He walks with the Lord. And he does the same things that I'm calling you to do. He's an example. It's also highlighted in other places, but what I want to show you is Philippians 2, 19 to 22, the church of Philippi, says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know, Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Out therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it'll go with me. So Paul was with Timothy, or Timothy was with Paul. Actually, we have we know Timothy was with Paul in prison. At the end there, Acts 28, so Philippians 1 1, Colossians 1 1, Philemon. And and also Timothy was the co-sender of six of Paul's letters that he wrote, Scripture. Paul desired to see Timothy at the end of his life. He's dying. He's like, Timothy, come see me. They had such a close relationship with one another. And Timothy also went to prison for the gospel. We see that in Hebrews 13, 23. It says this at the end of the letter. You know that our brother Timothy has been released 
with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So Timothy, he followed Paul's ways in preaching the gospel and going to prison for the gospel. Timothy was a young leader. He was Paul's disciple. He was used to train and equip churches. He was a co-laborer, a co-traveler, an extension of Paul's ministry. And now Paul's writing to Timothy, but not only to Timothy, but to the church in Ephesus. If you'll notice in 1 Timothy 1.3, it says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. So Paul's writing not only to Timothy, but also to the church at Ephesus. We're going to learn more about them here in a moment. Where is Ephesus? Where does that come into the story? Again, just looking at the book of Acts. So this is where the letter was written to, to Timothy in Ephesus in Acts chapter 18. Uh, 19 to 21, kind of Paul just shows up. He preaches at a synagogue for a moment, but he's going on his way. He says, if it's God's will, I'll return back again. Well, it was God's will for Timothy to come back, or Paul to come back again. Acts 19, 8 to 10, he stays for a lengthy time. It says this about Paul's ministry. He entered the synagogue in Ephesus, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way... Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul had this lengthy ministry in Ephesus, meeting daily at this hall. And it says, I don't know if you have a footnote in your Bible, it says that it's probably from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. they met in this hall. And the reason they met at that time is because nobody else wanted that time. Would have been like the heat of the day. So they got like the worst time. But hey, we're going to meet. We're going to tell us about Jesus Christ. We're going to disciple them. So that was happening in Ephesus. Also in, in Ephesus, if we continue in Acts 19, there was a revival that happened in Ephesus. There, this is following some, some boys who heard that if we just proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, gave them power, they're walking around and trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, this person who had demon possessed, he beat these seven boys down to the ground. And then all of a sudden, people fear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to bring that to your attention, because then this revival happens. Acts 19, verses uh, 18 and on. So also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Like they believed in Jesus Christ. Now they had the fear of God put in them, and they come forward. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So there's this great ministry that happens in Ephesus and there's this revival. People who are believers who are doing things secretly in the dark. And now they have the fear of God and they want to take, and they want to take these scrolls and burn them. We're done with that way of life. This is what happened to the church of Ephesus. This is how it was formed. Even later on, if we, if we would keep reading, there's a riot that starts to happen because so many people are following Jesus Christ. There's a guy who his, his sole deal is, is to make shrines, a silversmith named Demetrius. And he's getting upset. He's like, they're killing our business. And so this riot happens in this city, and that's actually kind of when Paul leaves. So this church is established. God's doing amazing things. And I just want to bring your attention to one more part. There in the book of Acts, Acts 20, verse 17. So Paul has already, he's left Ephesus, he's traveled throughout Macedonia, and now he stops in to see the Ephesian elders. Verse 7, 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders 
of the church to him. So as a church, we already established, we already had elders. I want you to see what he says to them. Verses 26 to 32. Therefore I testify you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. Listen to this. He says to the elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That, that's happening. As Paul's writing the letter of 1 Timothy, that's happening in the church of Ephesus. There's some men who came in. We're going to see they're, they're teaching some, some wicked, false doctrines, some heresy. And, and Timothy had to go in and confront that. So it's interesting, this warning from Paul earlier in the book of Acts actually becomes true. And then Timothy needs to deal with it. Just a little bit more about Ephesus. The actual city is a population of about 250,000. Third largest city in the Roman Empire. Major commercial port. It had the temple of Armaeus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the temple of Armaeus was, was a goddess of fertility. People worshipped there often, came from all over the place. Ephesus was huge on magic, astrology, kind of the, the black arts, if you will. In fact, magic and sorcery were so big in Ephesus, David Seal points out, because of the popularity of magic in Ephesus, the phrase Ephesian writings was used to describe any documents that contained magic formulas or spells. Just an assumption that came from Ephesus. So again, this is like the kind of city that this church was in. This kind of background was happening within the church at the time. Interesting, there's more written to the church or the city of Ephesus than any other in the New Testament. Acts, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, Revelation. The Apostle John apparently was, was in Ephesus later on in his life. So why did Paul write? I've kind of already highlighted to rebuke teaching heresy, give clarity on church leadership and structure, talk about what is sound doctrine, talk about Timothy, like what's your role, what's the role of leaders, care for people in the church, what's the purpose of the church? So that's just kind of laying the foundation of what we're going to be talking about. So now just going back to 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 2, again, just want to read just these two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true, true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to see in, in verse 1 how Paul was the entrusted one. I want us to see in verse 1 how Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, is the entrusted one. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, the end of verse 10 and 11, talks about sound doctrine. That's in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul was entrusted with the gospel. We don't think it's not something physical that you grab. It's something that he heard, something that changed him. And he became an apostle and he had this most precious thing, the gospel, which he was to use, which he was to share, which he was to build up the church with. He was entrusted with it. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I want to talk about that for a moment. 
take a step back. An apostle of Christ Jesus. What does, it, what does that mean, an apostle? And do we have them today? I just want to answer those two questions. What is an apostle and do we have them today? One, Jesus had, uh, the term apostle can be used in two ways. One, Jesus had 12 apostles. They walked with him. They witnessed his death, burial, and resurrection. And the second way to use it is as a messenger. Anyone who's a messenger for Jesus Christ can use that term as an apostle. But Paul is the second. He's a messenger, and he's also the first. I want to just show you out of 1 Corinthians 15, 6-8. Where it talks about Paul being called as an apostle. Paul says this about the risen Lord Jesus Christ who he appeared to. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. That would be the, the 12 that walked with him. 11 as Judas took his life. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. I want you to see that. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born. One untimely born, because Paul didn't walk with Jesus. He didn't walk in his ministry. But the risen Lord Jesus Christ just appeared to him and called him to himself. And he says, last of all. So the criteria for an apostle in the New Testament, a physical eyewitness to the resurrected Lord and personally appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the position of authority in the early church, Acts 2.42. What did the church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All New Testament scripture is recognized as such by coming from an apostle or someone in direct relationship with an apostle. Apostolic writings were inspired. The letter of 1 Timothy, the letter written to Timothy, we know as 1 Timothy, was written by Paul, an apostle. It's this inspired word of God. So Paul was given his God-given authority behind the lever and backing Timothy with it. So the question, do we have apostles today? Is simply no. God laid the foundation of the church by the apostles. Ephesians 2.20 The household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And as we see churches led, the call was and is for elders and deacons to provide leadership within a church. Wayne Grudem says this, speaking of the apostles writing scripture, there is something unique about the office of apostle and that we would not expect it to continue today. For no one can add words to the Bible and have them be counted as God's very words or as a part of Scripture. Again, I already mentioned early church history. I'll just say it again. Ignatius, he was a disciple of John, like John the Apostle. And he wrote of how the apostles, Peter and Paul, laid the foundation of the church. And then other writers in the second century, Irenaeus and Tertullian, they wrote about after the time of the apostles. So like the most early church historians, early church leaders were like, yeah, yeah, that time is finished. Now we're in a different time. So by, call, by Paul claiming to be apostle, he established his authority. The reason I'm just highlighting that is that I think there's much confusion today when it comes to is, is that role still available? I think scripturally speaking, we would say, no, it was finished. The church was established and built by the apostles. So Paul, he's an apostle. How is he apostle? He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by command 
of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. He's an apostle by God. We're going to look more in the days to come. Maybe you know the story. Acts chapter 9. His Damascus moment, right? He's going to Damascus with letters. He wants to arrest Christians and throw them in jail, see them killed. Like that's his mission. Then all of a sudden, the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ appears to him in a vision. He's blinded. He's called to follow after the Lord. Amazing. And interesting in that, then, then God appears in a vision to this guy named Ananias. And he's like, go and see Saul who's from Tarsus, and go lay your hands on him. He's blind, and give him sight. And I don't know if there's anywhere else in Scripture this is said, but Ananias is like, oh yeah, I know Saul. He's going to kill Christians. I don't want to go deal with him. Like God appears to this guy in a vision. He's like, no, not that guy. Like that's Saul's kind of his, his background. That's what he was known for. And I love the Lord says to Ananias, Acts 9, 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul didn't choose to be an apostle. God commanded him to be an apostle. God's like, you're going this way. I'm grabbing your life. You're going this way now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior. Usually we often think, you know, like Christ Jesus is our Savior. Why is that language used? We think of God our Savior... Uh, one commentator, Tanner, says this, Savior depicted God as, as saving the world through the gift of His Son. We think of God the Father. He is the architect of salvation. He's the one who planned salvation in eternity past. And He's also the initiator of salvation. He sent the Son to accomplish salvation. And then we see and the Holy Spirit applies salvation to us, the Holy Trinity at work. But God the Savior... And of Christ Jesus, our hope. I love it. It says our hope. If maybe you're here today and you're like, maybe you're not a believer. And it's not, it's not our hope. Maybe it's like, it's your hope. It's her hope. It's his hope. Maybe you don't know God in this way. But first, for all of us, it first has to be my hope, right? My hope in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.12 says, At one time we were without hope and without God. But anyone here who has believed in Jesus Christ, who, who has been born again, has been given His Spirit, like we have hope, we say, it's our hope. The amazing thing that is like not hoping in what's going to happen today, but we hope that Jesus Christ is reigning on the throne. He's defeated sin and death. He's coming back again. A hope that cannot be shaken or shattered. Whatever is happening today and in the days to come. I love our hope. We have a shared belief, a shared faith. I love the church. It's such an eclectic group of people. Right? Different ages, different backgrounds, different economic statuses, different interests, different jobs, just colliding together because of our hope in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that is. I'm just going to ask you a question. Are you hoping in Christ Jesus today? Are you hoping in Him? So Paul was entrusted with the gospel, with a command from God, writing to Timothy. So verse 2, I want you to see how Paul entrusts Timothy. He writes to Timothy, my true child in the faith. I don't think Paul brought Timothy to faith as we saw. He was already well spoken of the brothers, the sisters. 
uh, where they found him. But Paul did pass on his conviction, his doctrine, his, his life to him. So what Paul had been entrusted with, the gospel, now Timothy had been entrusted with it too. If you look in 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says this, This charge I entrust to you. And what charge? I believe he's talking about 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. This, this message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul's like, I've entrusted this message to you. I've been entrusted with it, and this is my ministry, and now I'm entrusting it to you. And we see at the end of 1 Timothy uh, 6.20, he even says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And I believe that is the gospel, that is sound doctrine. So Paul had entrusted to him, passed it on to Timothy, and taught him about how to proclaim the gospel, how to live it, how to walk it. Just a question for you, do you have a Timothy in your life? Someone that you're passing down what you've learned in the faith? Is there someone younger in the faith that you're like, yes, I've learned, I don't do it perfectly, but as I'm walking, glorifying the Lord, like this is how you go about doing it. Do you have a Timothy in your life? Of course, everybody wants a Paul. Well, actually, but we get him. As we're going through 1 Timothy, we all get to hear his inspired words by the Spirit. I pray God applies that to our hearts. But we all want someone to be more mature in the faith, to teach us and to model us what it, what it means to walk with the Lord. I pray that small groups can help facilitate those relationships. I pray that, that youth ministry can be that. Our, our kids' ministry, people more mature in the faith, people have been walking with the Lord like, yes, this is what it means to be a Christian. We don't do it perfectly. God has given us grace and mercy, but this is how we do it. Just think about that in, in youth ministry, in kids' ministry, like the next generation that we need to be entrusting to them with the gospel. As Paul entrusted Timothy, we've been entrusted with that. We need to entrust our young people with the gospel. So I, I want us to see even so as Timothy, my true child in the faith, and he gives him this greeting, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to see in that greeting, this is the gospel that he was entrusted with. So it was Paul's kind of usual greeting. It, it was a greeting, but it's also a reality. You know, we have like maybe greetings that we can say to one another, maybe you're, or, or as you're leaving, hey, like, good luck. Good luck. I remember I had a friend, he always would call me on that. He's like, we don't believe in luck. <laughs> like, that, that's not true. You're like, oh, yeah, break a leg, which, what a strange thing to say to someone. But, but Paul's, his greeting of like grace, mercy, and peace, it's a greeting, but it's actually still a reality. For those who are in Christ. And I want to use those three words just to show you the gospel we've been entrusted with. To think grace. We should, if you've been in the church any time, you should be well acquainted with this word. Grace means unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. We've done nothing at all to, to get it. It's most clearly seen in the action of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, when we were rebelling against God. 
That any who had turned from their sins or rebelling against God, anyone who had turned from like, yeah, shaking their fist against God to him would find grace. Would find undeserved favor, unmerited favor. I love that we can't earn God's favor. It's not like, man, I've read my Bible this many times. Now God loves me. I went to church this many times. God, I fed the, the poor. I, I helped these people. All good things. But we're, it's not helping us. God love us more because His grace is unearned, unmerited favor that He gives to us. Isn't that the most wonderful thing? That old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So there's grace, of course, in being saved. Grace in being saved from our sins, from God's punishment we deserve, from our broken ways. But Timothy, Timothy was already a believer. So what's he saying to him? Because guys, there's grace to enter into faith. But then we, we just walk in grace the whole time. Grace to continue on. John 6, 1.16, John speaking of Jesus says this, From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Timothy needed God's grace in the task that was in front of him. Young, leader, lots of opposition. He was in over his head. Oh friends, I pray we can take this to heart. Grace, God's unmerited favor that we have in our lives. We live this out in the next week as a Christian. Like, I don't know about you, but it's like, if sometimes you, you feel like you have a good day, and you stand up a little taller, like, I thank God, you might love me a little more today. But then you have those, like, really terrible days, whatever it is, short with those around you, angry, strong with lust, whatever it is, and you're like, man, I don't think God loves me. Of course, the Christian walk calls us to obedience. We need to obey, led by the Spirit. But those good days, those bad days, it doesn't change God's love for us because it's His grace, His unmerited favor. We need to take that to heart. On those good days, we don't stand up a little taller like, man, God's grace. On those harder days where we're like, we're falling, we're stumbling, but like, oh, it's all grace. I pray we would take that with us in the days and weeks to come. And just a, another question for you. Who in your life needs to hear about the grace of God found in Jesus Christ? I, I couldn't think of a really great analogy of the gospel that Paul is entrusted with, that Timothy is entrusted with, that we're entrusted with, that we're saved by. The value is so great uh, that, that Jesus talking about using a parable that a man went and found a treasure in a field. And the treasure was so great, he went and he sold everything he had so we can have that treasure. That's the gospel. But the beauty of it is as we receive it, we can give it away freely. And it doesn't affect what we have. So who is there in your life who needs to hear about God's grace found in Jesus Christ? Because as we, as we give, it doesn't affect ours. So grace... We say grace, mercy. Interesting, every other one of Paul's letters, he just says grace and peace. Right? That's where you get MacArthur's ministry, right? Grace to you. He stole it from Scripture. <laughs> but in here in First and Second Timothy only, it's grace, mercy, and peace. I don't know if it's because of the relationship, what they had going. And, and grace and mercy are so closely... Related, so grace is God's favor, undeserved mercy, 
It's God's kindness instead of judgment. Like all, anyone who's not a believer, believer has God's kindness, God's mercy every day. Like you're still living, you're still breathing. His judgment hasn't come down on you. That's God's kindness, His mercy. One commentator is helpful here. This term mercy was often a translation of the Hebrew word hesed, which carried the connotation of God's loving kindness by which he made and sustained the covenant with Israel. So we see that in God's mercy. So Paul wishes for Timothy a deep sense of God's sustaining protection. A kind of a good example of this acted out is the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25. The 37, I won't kind of read it in its entirety. You know the, maybe the parable, there's this, this guy walking and he gets beaten and he's sitting on the road and then three people come to walking past him, right? The priest comes and he goes on the other side of the road and you think the priest would for sure help and then the Levite comes and he goes on the other side of the road and then who helps him? The Samaritan. The, the person who is like hated within Jewish culture. He stops and I just want to read what they do. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, Luke 10, 33, and he went to him, had compassion on him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil with wine. Then he set, on, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay, it, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The answer of this guy, he said, the one who showed him mercy. That's what I mean. His mercy acting out. He went and he cared for this person. He showed loving kindness to him. Not someone he even needed to do. Someone who is culturally like an enemy of him. But he showed mercy to him. So you think again, Timothy, in a tough situation in Ephesus, he, needs, he needed God's mercy in his life. And he needed to minister with God's mercy. Friends, we can show others mercy and kindness because we have received it from God. So again, who is in your life who needs mercy? Who needs God's kindness? Is there a family member? A, a neighbor? A co-worker? A friend? In this, in this week to come, you know, maybe someone wrongs you, does something wrong, and you're like, I'm going to show them mercy. God's loving kindness. So grace, mercy... And peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. We talked about peace a bit last week. Psalm 34, 14. Seek peace and pursue it. Peace, this idea of, kind of has an Old Testament concept of shalom, welfare, of health. Timothy could use God's peace in his life. Again, battling false teachers, seeking to establish God's truth, raising up leaders, asking others who are not qualified to step down. But just thinking of this term peace broadly for a second, are people looking for peace these days? And where are they looking? So just a, just a little Google search, Google like peace, or how do you find peace? Interesting, Google should have said, turn off the computer, if it was really honest. It didn't say that though. But one of the things it said was like, get, people get out to nature, Get away from the noise, sit by a stream, it's peaceful, right? What's the problem there? You come back. You don't just stay by the stream. So it's kind of like, okay, is that peace? Well, another way, practice contentment, for sure. In a world that wants to continue to sell you more and more stuff, be helpful. 
Another way they said, find within, find peace. Self-improvement. I think self-improvement's okay, it's good at times. They said self-fulfillment. What's the problem with that? The one thing is that we are always changing, so what fulfills in one moment won't the next. And here's the real deal though, right? If you want to look for peace within, within is where we find trouble. Our sinful, broken hearts. If our thoughts were broadcast, we would run out of this church. Within is where we see like, man, I, I've, I'm, I've sinned in my life. And because of that, with the Holy God, I, I don't have peace. And you think for anyone who, who doesn't know the Lord, as they look within and they see the sin that's within there, it's like fight or flight. Right? You, you, all of a sudden, some adverse situation, you're going to fight it or you're going to run. And you, you don't have peace with God, you're running. You're not going to find peace within. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to find pay, peace with God through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That's where we find peace. That's where we find lasting peace. So I can go to the mountain, and yeah, it's beautiful. It's quiet. And I come back in, and maybe it's chaotic in, in, in home, or, or what's happening in the city, whatever, but I can still have this deep, lasting peace within because my peace is in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. So peace to be saved and then peace to continue. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I don't know about you, like in, in, in a week, sometimes I'm like, yeah, okay, I, God's peace for sure is there. And other times I'm like getting frantic or worried or angry and I'm like, ah, it's not there. I need to keep kind of confessing things. I need to keep praying for that. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep fixing my eyes on Him. Not looking inward for peace, but looking outward to Jesus Christ and finding peace. So can you see the gospel in that? That we need the grace of God, the unmerited favor. We need the kindness of God, Him withholding judgment to us. And if we believe in His his work on the cross, Jesus Christ, we receive His grace and His mercy, we receive His peace. If you know the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you know the mercy of God, you'll have that peace of God in your life available to you. Do you see how this greeting is also the gospel? Do you see how this greeting is not just a greeting, but it, it should be a reality for those in Jesus Christ, that we would have grace, we would have mercy, and we would have peace. And you see how you could actually use this then to share the gospel with someone. Just three words. Do you know what grace means? Undeserved favor. Where do we see that in society? You got to do something. You got to earn something. No free lunch. No from the Lord and his, and his kindness. Grace, mercy, and those who believe and trust in the Lord, peace. So, and again, how is that possible? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's, that's the thing. Before I talk about Christ Jesus, our hope. You need to have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, so it's our hope. Jesus Christ needs to be your Lord in order to say, our Lord. What does that mean? If, if He is Lord, it means He is the one in charge. He is the King. He's the ruler over every aspect of our lives. Friends, the queen has died this week, right? She passed. 
our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, He reigns forever. And He's coming back again. And so we're saying, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our Ruler. And if we can say that, yes, He is our Lord, and yeah, we get peace, we get mercy, we get grace. So Paul was entrusted with the gospel. Now Timothy was entrusted with the same message and the ministry to the church. And I hope you see that we've been entrusted with that same message, the gospel. It's a message for our church. It's a message for God's people to share with our, our young people and trust them with it, with our children. It's a message that we continue to proclaim, that we continue to rest in Jesus Christ. We're so prone to go in different directions. We're so prone to count maybe our own accomplishments and to be pleasing to the Lord. No, let's come back. We need to keep sharing the gospel. And of course, it's a message for the lost. It's a message for those who don't know Him. That as, as we share God's grace and His mercy, may God, by Spirit, call more people to Himself. Friends, we, we've been entrusted with this message. Will we be found faithful when the Lord returns? If you'll bow with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray you'd, you'd first do a work in me. Oh God, give me greater boldness to share this gospel you've entrusted me with. Give me eyes to see those around me who don't know you. I pray for all of us, Lord. Give us your love. Give us your loving kindness for each other, for those who don't know you. Help us, O Holy Spirit, to use what you've entrusted us with. This great message, Lord. I pray you would help us open up our, our lips and stumble through, but use it to make your name known. Oh Lord, I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts, and as we open up the book of 1 Timothy, shape our church by it. Rebuke us where we need it. Encourage us where we need it. And continue to form this body of believers according to your word, by the work of your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.